This message is um, something that's really dear to my heart, and I'll share that with you in a second, but let me just pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you, Father, that it cuts between the bone and the marrow. God, that you can do so much work with this word. You can erase years of pain. You can restore relationships. You can heal bodies. God, you can calm warring nations, Lord Jesus, just with this word. So today, I'm privileged. I'm so honored to speak your word. And we're honored to open our ears to hear it. Would you come into our heart? Would you, would you cut where needs to be cut? Would you help us to hear what you're saying? Not what I'm saying, but what you're saying, Holy Spirit. And would you heal the brokenhearted? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this week I was mentoring, um, had an opportunity to mentor a young man. And after sharing his heart with me, I realized I didn't know what to tell him. You know, I've been doing this a long time. I was a youth pastor. I mean, just had a lot of pastoring experience. Took a coaching class. Like, I had no idea what to say. No idea what to share. How many of you can relate? Sometimes, like, what do you say? Right? Maybe you're in the other, maybe you're in the other spot. Maybe you're just looking for someone to help. And, and what do they say? How do they, what words can help heal the brokenness and the hurt in your life, right? So I, I shared with the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to give him. And I just waited. I waited till the Lord spoke and I waited till the Lord responded. Oftentimes messages will come with a lot of warring for me. <laughs> Sometimes I have to go on walks and, and get on my knees and all these things because I'm like, God, you, I need to hear you. What does this little congregation need to hear? Like, I want to hear what you're saying, right? And then other times it's like, download. <laughs> have you guys ever experienced that? You're like, whoa, what was that? And I just got to get my pen out and write. Well, this was one of those moments. And it was, it was interesting because it wasn't for you at first. It wasn't for this Sunday. At, at first, it was for him. And as I began to keep writing, I thought, God, I need this too. We need this too. As a body, we need to hear and understand what you want in this deepest, darkest place of pain. Because we all get there. We can pretend like we don't, right? But we do. We get there. Every once in a while, we find ourselves like, oh my gosh, I'm in this pit. And I, I don't have anybody to grab to. I don't have anybody to scream out to to get me out of this dark place. So I believe that this word is not just for him and not just for me, but it's for you too. And I believe that it will go through you to those around you that need this word. Because that's what, that's what the beauty of the relationship with God is. He speaks to you, but it's not just for you. It's not just for you. And I'm using this. Why didn't I turn this on? I'm sorry. Can you turn that off? I did that because I always end up messing with my microphone. So, okay, thank you. But his word is, 
in our lives, but it's not just for us. We are to be a conduit, a river of living water so that what we receive from him, we give to those around us, our children, our parents, our friends, our family, those hurting, right? That's what the call of God is. Go make disciples. Go share the good news. So I know some of, some of you might be going through a difficult situation, but we are to ask, how are you going to use this situation to bless someone else, right? How are you going to use this, God, to bless someone else in my life? How are you going to get the glory? That's how God gets the glory. When we allow him to use the situations in our life to help others, he gets glory. And I believe that this message is going to do just that. So we're going to talk about confession today. Confession. When we think of confession, we think of a few different things, right? All the way from you're confessing to a crime. I did it. (laughs) We think of a court of law, right? They confessed. Now they're going to jail. Or maybe you grew up Catholic in the Catholic faith. Maybe you've gone to confession, right, with the confessional, and you're telling the priest all that you did wrong that week. You're just laying it all out there. How many in here have ever been to a confessional? All right, come on. And then for all my word of faith people in the house, whoop, whoop, right? (laughs) You think of confession as speaking, believing, declaring the word of God. It's all confession. So you have something way over here and you have something way over here, right? We're going to talk about everything in between today. We're going to talk about everything in between today and what the word says about the power of confession in our life. In 1 John 1, 9 through 10, and I'm going to start in verse 5 because, because the whole chapter is good, and I love the scripture, so I apologize, but you're in church. You can hear scripture, okay? So verse 5, it starts, what, are we telling, what we are telling you now is the very message we heard from him. God is pure light, undimmed by darkness of any kind. If we say we have an intimate connection with the Father, if we say... We have an intimate connection with the Father, but we continue stumbling around in darkness, then we are lying because we do not live according to the truth. If we walk step by step in the light where the Father is, then we are ultimately connected to each other through the sacrifice of Jesus, his Son. His blood purifies us from all sin. If we go around bragging we have no sin, then we are fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. And then here we go. And I'm going to switch over to the Amplified. But if we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature. And it's a good nature. God is good. He's not angry. Can I just tell that to somebody? He's not mad at you. Okay, you tripped up. Okay, it was this morning. Okay, it was the hundredth time. He's not mad at you. He loves you. That's his true nature. True to his own nature and promises and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness for our wrongdoing, everything that is not in conformity with his will and purpose. 
If we say that we have not sinned, refusing to admit acts of sin, we make him out to be a liar by contradicting him and his word is not in us. This verse is so powerful and we should probably review it just about every day. (laughs) That's how powerful it is. So we see that there's a necessary confession that leads us to forgiveness and cleanses us continually. And that's where we're going to hone in on. That cleanses us continually. Does confession create forgiveness? No. It's not the confession that forgives us. Jesus did that. On the cross, he died, right? He died for our sins. That is what brought us forgiveness. The resurrection life is what gives us freedom from the effects of death, right? From the effects of sin. So why does John, who wrote 1 John, tell us to confess our sins? Aren't we already forgiven? The answer is yes. We are already forgiven, but sin, we know from the word, steals, it kills, and it destroys, right? There are consequences to sin. For the Christian, hell is not a consequence to sin because you have been covered in the blood of Jesus. But what 1 John is saying is that confess your sins to the Lord so that you can be cleansed from all of the unrighteousness of sin, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, right? All of that stuff that happens in our life when we sin. This can be sin done by us, but this can also be sin done to us. And this is what I need you to hear this morning. There is gross stuff in your life from sin done to you. And God wants you to confess that because he wants to cleanse you from all that unrighteousness. It's so important. It's so important. And as Christians, we think that because we asked Jesus to come into our heart and we confessed all the bad things we've done, now we have to handle all the other garbage, right? We have to handle the mess up that we're going to do Tuesday. (laughs) We have to handle the memories of the trauma. We have to handle all that because Jesus forgave us and now I'm a Christian and now I have to do it myself. That's not true. Jesus, John is saying, confess your sins to the Lord and he will continually cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When we don't allow that to happen in our life, we have the damage of sin, the guilt, the shame, the sadness, the anger, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, all the unhealthy emotions of the soul. You know, when we were saved, your spirit was made perfect. You have a perfect spirit, but your soul, my soul, is messed up. Let me tell you, because I have memories, right? I have memories of what I did when I was 16. (laughs) I have memories of what he said and she said, right? I have memories of the abandonment. I have memories of the the, um, trauma in my life. And that will come and try to mess up my soul. And so I continually have to go back to the Lord and get that soul renewed and get that soul refreshed and get that soul cleansed from him. If we don't do that, it's like we have his forgiveness but we've, and we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places, but my soul puts me in a prison 
with the door open. Picture that. So many Christians are sitting in a prison cell with the door wide open. We don't understand that we're free. We're free from all of the torment and the pain that sin causes. We're going to look at the life of David because David called him a man after his own heart. Wouldn't you want God to say that about you? Like a woman after my own heart. Man, okay. I want to look that much like him, right? That he calls me a man or a woman after his own heart. He was a friend of God. He had an intimate relationship with God. And it wasn't because he was a worshiper. It wasn't because he was sinless. Man, he was not sinless. You know the story of David. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. There's so many things that he did wrong. It wasn't that. I believe it was because he knew the power of confession. He knew the way to be so intimate with, Lord, with the Lord was to bear his heart to the Lord, to tell him everything. He didn't hold anything back. He even told God when he was angry with him. In Psalms 19, 14, we're going to read this scripture verse. Another scripture verse that you should, oh, I've already brought it up here. Another scripture verse that you should keep close at all times. And it says, let the words of my mouth, the confession of my mouth, right? And the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, my Lord. My firm, immovable rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, David cried, be pleasing to you. It was his confession to the Lord. He knew that his heart was important. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, he said, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. It's our heart's posture towards him that connects us to him. And even though David was a sinner, God still allowed David to be the type and shadow of Jesus. That's crazy. David is the one that shows us who Jesus was going to be like. He allowed David, the flawed guy that killed a man so he could sleep with his wife, right? to remain the type and shadow of the coming Messiah because David bore his heart to the Lord. He, he cherished his intimate relationship with Jesus, or yeah, with the Lord. So we're going to look at this verse closely. David is saying something here that I've never seen before. And we're going to do a word study on the word meditation. Some translations say thoughts, but most every translation says meditation, the meditation of my heart. Each one of us in here has a meditation of their heart. That word is higayan, and I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's, it means resounding music. The meditation of our heart, resounding music, amusing it comes from the word higa, and that means to speak, to moan, to growl, to utter, or to muse. This is like the background music of your heart. Now you know what I'm talking about, don't you? We have a background music in our heart. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what you've been through. You wake up in the morning, and you have a background music, don't you? 
We're either waking up with a little jump in our step. It's going to be a good morning. It's going to be a great day. We have a worship song or like Tommy, holy, holy. He walks around singing, don't you, Tommy? Yeah. Or this can be a negative song as well. The word study says the plotting. Some of us have a song that plots against us, bringing up those memories, tormenting us with how you did that wrong, what you said back there, how you messed up with that person, what happened to you, and you must deserve it. We have this plotting background music in our heart rising against us. Everyone is out to get me. Now we start believing it. In Lamentations 3, it says, ugly words and uglier plans they have for me. You've heard it all, eternal one. Under their breath, my adversaries whispering about me, devising nasty schemes all the time. And the bad thing is, is that these schemes are in our own hearts. Oftentimes, we, we, we self-destruct and we sabotage our own lives because of this background music in our hearts. We sing negative thoughts to ourselves or words to our own soul, to our self-talk, our cursing ourselves. Oh, my gosh. See, I think I might be a little bit um, unique where I don't even think cuss words. I grew up in a Christian family. I never really heard them. But, like, I understand that some people think them. And some people, like, literally curse themselves throughout their day. That crushes my heart. Because your words have life and your words have death. Don't curse yourself. Don't curse your soul. But some of you can't help it because it's going right with, it's the lyrics of your background music, right? It's the lyrics. It's that meditation of your heart. And this background music is deadly, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. So what did David do? How did he live this out? Go to Psalms 32. We're going to see what happens. Some say that this is the psalm that he wrote right after he got caught in adultery. Right after he got called out for murdering, right? Her husband, Nathan, called him out. This is the psalm they think he wrote. So this is his confession psalm. David says, how happy is the one whose wrongs are forgiven, whose sin is hidden from sight. How happy is the person whose sin the eternal will not take into account. How happy are those who no longer lie to themselves or others. When I refused to admit my wrongs, I was miserable, moaning and complaining all day long so that even my bones felt brittle. Doesn't it do that? The background music will put you in bed. It won't let you up. It'll keep you depressed. It'll make you go to the doctor and get medicine. Day and night, your hand kept pressing on me. God doesn't give up on us. My strength dried up like water in the summer heat. You wore me down. And then this is the part. When I finally saw my own lies when I finally saw my own lies, when I owned up to my sins before you, and I did not try to hide my evil deeds from you, I said to myself, I'll admit all of my sins to the eternal. And you lifted and carried away the guilt of my sin. You lifted it off of my heart. 
You lifted it. You changed the background music of my heart. So let all who are devoted to you speak honestly to you now while you are still listening. For then when the floods come, surely the rushing water will not even reach them. For you are my hiding place and you will keep me out of trouble and envelop me with songs and remind me that I am free. That's, it's all there. It's all there. God reminds us that we are free, even if we're feeling depressed, right? When we bear our souls to him, when we tell him, God, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling this way. I, don't, I know it's not true. I know it's not what your word says, but I'm feeling it. My soul is feeling it. And Jesus says, but you're free. You're free. And he wants to speak tenderly to you. He wants to come in and hold you and speak truth to you. You will keep me out of trouble. You are my hiding place. You will keep me out of trouble and envelop me with songs that remind me that I am free. He changes our background music in our heart. I will teach you and tell you the way to go. David starts prophesying now. He starts prophesying now in the psalm. He said, I will teach you and tell you which way to go and how to get there. I will give you good counsel and will watch over you. But don't be stubborn and stupid like horses and mules who will, if not reined by leather and metal, will run wild, ignoring their masters. Tormented and empty are wicked and destructive people. But the one who trusts the eternal is wrapped tightly with his gracious love. Express your joy and be happy in him, you who are good and true. Go ahead, shout and rejoice aloud and whose hearts are honest and straightforward. God wants us to be honest with him. He wants us to, to tell him what we're feeling and what we're going through. The sin we have committed and the sin committed to us. The feelings we have about ourselves and about others, only then can he save us, heal us, and forgive us, and cleanse us from all the unrighteousness. And he changes the heart's song. So who do we confess to, right? <laughs> who do we confess to? I'm not going to recommend you go back to the confessional, all right? But I'm also not going to recommend that you just start quoting scripture because God has to do something in here first. That scripture has to be rhema word. It has to be yours, right? We talked about that this morning. It has to be yours. God has to reveal it to you, to your personal story and change your song in your heart. So the first thing we do, we confess to God. We talked about it in 1 John 1, 9 through 10. He is faithful and just, but confession does something, all right? It's a face-to-face -face conversation. It's not a text message. It's not a phone call. It's not an email. It's a face-to-face -face conversation, and that is what changes us. It's the face-to-face -face with God. We confess to the Lord. It draws us close to him. Sin separates us from him, right? Confession brings us back. <laughs> Sin makes us hide, right? Like, like Adam and Eve in the garden. What did they do when they sinned? They hid from him. They clothed themselves because they didn't want to be vulnerable and they hid behind the bushes. But God wants us to come to him with our sin. 
Confession draws us close so that he can remind us that we are forgiven and restored. And he changes the music in our hearts. Number two, we confess to others. Do we? That's a, that's a tricky one for a lot of us, right? It's a tricky one for a lot of us. But I will say that the priest, let me give some explanation for that because some of you might not have. The reason why we don't believe that you are supposed to go to a priest to, for confession is because something happened in Luke chapter 23. And if you want to read it for yourself, write it down. You can read it in the Bible when you get home. Luke 23, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a temple nearby. <laughs> and in that temple, there was a curtain. And I don't remember the exact dimensions, but I think it was like this thick, right? And long. And no one could pass that curtain unless you were perfect. Unless you were the holiest of holiest priests. And you could only go in then once a year. And usually they tied something around your ankle. So if you did something wrong and you died, they could pull you out. Seriously. But when Jesus died, that curtain was ripped into, ripped into. And so now we don't need a priest to go in. We don't need a priest. He says, you come in yourself. You come right in at your kitchen table. You come right in next to your bed, right on your knees. You come right in and you tell me what's hurting in your heart. You tell me how you've messed up because I want to have a face-to-face -face conversation with you. But <laughs> in James 5.16, right, it says, therefore, confess your sins one to another, your false steps, your offenses, and pray for one another that you may be healed and restored because the heartfelt and persistent prayer of a righteous man a believer can accomplish much. When we put into action and made effective by God, it is dynamic and can have tremendous power. Here's the beautiful thing. We have one another to pray for each other, to strengthen one another, to remind. Now, this is what Jesus said. I know that you go through this. I know that this happened in your past, but I'm here to remind you how beautiful you are. I'm here to remind you that God forgave you for that, that you, are, you, you no longer have sh um, shame and guilt on your life, that you have been restored and you are seated with Christ. And I love you too much to allow you to stay in that pit. But we have those godly relationships around us. That's why you'll always hear us right? Pastor Troy, Pastor Becca, Jeremiah, Pastor Jeremiah, Pastor Marl, every, all of us, get in a life group. You have to have this godly community around you because we need one another to pray with each other, to restore each other when we fall back in that pit. That community is there to strengthen us. And too many Christians, because of the judgment that we also give one another, come on, <laughs> They isolate themselves when they mess up and they're alone and they hide from God, but they also hide from one another. In Ecclesiastics, it says two are better than one because a good return comes when two work together. If one of them falls, what can we do? We pick them up. <laughs> we can help them up. But who will help the pitiful person who falls down alone? That is the, that's the enemy's dream. If he can isolate you, if he can stop you from coming, if he can get you mad and bitter 
And then you're kind of trying to do it on your own. That's the dream. <laughs> don't, don't make his dreams come true. Reach out. Share your heart with somebody that you can trust and let them pray for you. Finishing up that scripture verse, and if one person is vulnerable to attack, two can drive the attacker away. As the saying goes, a rope made of three strands is not quickly broken. That's why it's so important to disciple and be discipled. And take responsibility to lead yourself. Like all of you, every single one of you in here should be discipling someone. Every single one. You're ready. Stop questioning yourself. You can pick someone up out of the pit, right? God has given you that restoration and that salvation for that purpose. I can't, I can't lead a group. I can't pray out loud. I can't, I can't, I can't. But what's happening? We're only thinking of ourselves when we do that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul's giving them instructions. Hi, Tommy. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul's giving them instructions on church life. And the whole chapter is good, but verse 14, it says, Brothers and sisters, we strongly advise you to scold the rebels who devote their lives to wreaking havoc and to encourage the downcast. When we see someone in our body sad, man, they should have so many text messages, so many voicemails, so many coffee dates, Right? We should not let them leave this room without knowing that they're loved, without finding out how to help them get out of the pit because that's who we are. That's who we're called to be, to help the sick and the weak and to be patient with all of them. We take responsibility for one another. We will have correction, but even more encouragement, help, and patience. And this is why it's important not to hide. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to inspire each other to greater love and to righteous deeds. And if you need this, so do I. And if I need this, so does he, right? We need each other. And finally, this is the last one. It's confessing to ourselves. Telling ourselves the truth. Sin, especially now, there's this like mental um, health epidemic that's happening with our young people. If we confess to ourselves that we are messed up, broken, that we have anxiety, that I am an addict, that I have this order, that I have this disorder, we are not careful with our confession to ourselves, it can become our realities. But we have to remember that we care for our soul, we're honest and we're truthful with our soul, but we do not give ourselves an identity that isn't aligned with the word of God. We don't own an identity that is not truthful. Adrian loves this scripture verse in um, Revelation, and I just thought of it. It says there that he gives us a white stone, and written on it is a new name. You've been given a new name, a new identity, after forgiveness of sins, right? So we have to make sure that we're confessing the right thing to ourselves, Remember that scripture verse last week we talked about? You will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. 
<laughs> what you can say, what you say can preserve life or destroy it, including your own. So you must accept the consequence of your words. His truth has to become our truth. We must put it on our tongue, what Jesus did for us, and how this is how we overcome sin. So our confession to ourselves is our testimony. It's our testimony. And we have a testimony, and it overcomes the devil. It overcomes sin. In Revelation 12, 11, it says, And they overcame and conquered him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. We have to speak what God has said about us. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's hard when we're not feeling it, right? Sometimes we have to override what we're feeling and speak it anyways. That's why it's good to have it written down. It's good to have it written down. Della gave us these, these cards. I love three by five cards. If I have a scripture that I can't say when I'm feeling crappy, right, I can read it. And it's good because it still gets into our hearts. What God said has to become our testimony. We have to replace that cursing that we do to ourselves under our breath or the negative self-talk that is oh so present in our brains and understand what God has said about us. What has Jesus done for you? That's a really great way to do it. Recall, remember what he did for you a year ago, two years ago, 10 years ago. Remember the great things he's done in your life already and encourage yourself in the Lord. Speak that testimony out in your life. David did this. He had a confession, his testimony in Psalms 103, and we're almost done. I'm sorry. I guess I thought it was shorter than it was. But we're going to end to this, um, and then Adrian's going to come up, and we're going to pray for you. Um, in Psalms 103, 1 through 12, this is an amazing testimony of David. It says, Oh, my soul, come. Praise the eternal with all that is in me. Listen to this. Body, emotions, mind, and will. Every part of who I am. We are telling our soul to praise him, right? Praise his holy name. Oh, my soul, come. Praise the eternal. Sing the song from a grateful heart. Sing and never forget all the good he has done. Despite all your many offenses, he forgives you and releases you. More than any doctor, he heals your diseases. He reaches deep into the pit to deliver you from death. And he crowns you with unfailing love and compassion like a king. When your soul is famished and withering, he fills you with good and beautiful things, satisfying you as long as you live. He makes you strong like an eagle, restoring your youth. Think about this. We have an open book test. We can take this and we can walk around our house in the morning and say this and declare this out loud. This can become our testimony. It's so powerful. It can change the atmosphere. It can change your song. <laughs> when people are crushed, wronged, enslaved, raped, murdered, the eternal one is just. He makes the wrongs right. He showed Moses his ways. He allowed his people Israel to see his wonders and acts of power. The eternal is compassionate and merciful. And when we cross all the lines, he is patient with us. When we struggle against him, he lovingly stays with us, changing, convicting, and prodding us. 
He will not constantly criticize, nor will he hold a grudge forever. Thankfully, God does not punish us for our sins and depravity as we deserve. In his mercy, he tempers justice with peace. Measure how high heaven is above the earth. God's wide, loving, kind heart is greater for those who revere him. You see, God takes all of our crimes, our seemingly inexhaustible sins, and removes them as far as the east is from the west. He removes them from us. You see, it's so important that we go through this process of drawing close to God, confessing to him the sin, the effects of sin that we have done, that have been done to us. Does it bring us salvation? No, only the blood of Jesus does that, right? Only the blood of Jesus does that. Not our confession, but his word says that he is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's vital that we have this strong community around us that will listen to our confession so as to encourage and make us stronger that we do it for those in our community and that we speak the testimony of Jesus to ourselves. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy in your life. It's the spirit of prophecy and our lives then become the gospel, the good news of Jesus. So he hears the songs of your heart today and he wants to give you a new song, not a song of condemnation, but of freedom and grace. So Adrian's going to come up and we're just going to pray over you this morning.